Section 35 of Rudder Grange. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rudder Grange by Frank R. Stockton. Chapter 18. Our Tavern. The next day was clear again, and we rambled in the woods until the sun was nearly down, and so were late about supper. We were just taking our seats at the table when we heard a footstep on the front porch. Instantly the same thought came into each of our minds. "'I do believe,' said Euphemia, "'that's somebody who has mistaken this for a tavern. I wonder whether it's a soldier, or a farmer, or a sailor, but you had better go and see.' I went to see, prompted to move quickly by the newcomer pounding his cane on the bare floor of the hall. I found him standing just inside of the front door. He was a small man, with long hair and a beard, and dressed in a suit of clothes of a remarkable color, something of the hue of faded snuff. He had a big stick, and carried a large flat valise in one hand. He bowed to me very politely. "'Can I stop here to-night?' he asked, taking off his hat, as my wife put her head out of the kitchen door. "'Why, no, sir,' I said, "'this is not a tavern.' "'Not a tavern?' he exclaimed. "'I don't understand that. You have a sign out.' "'That is true,' I said, "'but that is only for fun, so to speak. We are here temporarily, and we put up that sign just to please ourselves.' "'That is pretty poor fun for me,' said the man. "'I am very tired and more hungry than tired. Couldn't you let me have a little supper at any rate?' Euphemia glanced at me. I nodded. "'You are welcome to some supper,' said she. "'Come in. We eat in the kitchen, because it is more convenient, and because it is so much more cheerful than the dining-room. There is a pump out there, and here is a towel, if you would like to wash your hands.' As the man went out the back door, I complimented my wife. She was really an admirable hostess. The individual in faded snuff color was certainly hungry, and he seemed to enjoy his supper. During the meal he gave us some account of himself. He was an artist, and had travelled, mostly on foot, it would appear, over a great part of the country. He had in his valise some pretty little coloured sketches of scenes in Mexico and California, which he showed us after supper. Why he carried these pictures, which were done on stiff paper, about with him I do not know. He said he did not care to sell them, as he might use them for studies for larger pictures some day. His valise, which he opened wide on the table, seemed to be filled with papers, drawings, and matters of that kind. I suppose he preferred to wear his clothes instead of carrying them about in his valise. After sitting for about half an hour after supper, he rose, with an uncertain sort of smile, and said he supposed he must be moving on, asking at the same time how far it was to the tavern over the ridge. "'Just wait one moment, if you please,' said Euphemia, and she beckoned me out of the room. "'Don't you think,' said she, "'that we could keep him all night?' There's no moon, and it would be a fearful dark walk, I know, to the other side of the mountain. There is a room upstairs that I can fix for him in ten minutes, and I know he's honest. How do you know it? I asked. Well, because he wears such curious colored clothes. No criminal would ever wear such clothes. He could never pass unnoticed anywhere, and being probably the only person in the world who is dressed that way, he could always be detected. You are doubtless correct, I replied. Let us keep him. When we told the good man that he could stay all night, he was extremely obliged to us, and went to bed quite early. After we had fastened the house and had gone to our room, my wife said to me, "'Where is your pistol?' I produced it. "'Well,' said she, "'I think you ought to have it where you can get at it.' "'Why so?' I asked. "'You generally want me to keep it out of sight and reach.' "'Yes, but when there is a strange man in the house, we ought to take extra precautions.' 
"'But this man, you say, is honest,' I replied. "'If he committed a crime, he could not escape. His appearance is so peculiar.' "'But that wouldn't do us any good if we were both murdered,' said Euphemia, pulling a chair up to my side of the bed, and laying the pistol carefully thereon, with the muzzle toward the bed. We were not murdered, and we had a very pleasant breakfast with the artist, who told us more anecdotes of his life in Mexico and other places. When, after breakfast, he shut up his valise, preparatory to starting away, we felt really sorry. When he was ready to go, he asked for his bill. "'Oh, there is no bill,' I exclaimed. "'We have no idea of charging you anything. We don't really keep a hotel, as I told you.' "'If I had known that,' said he, looking very grave, "'I would not have stayed. There is no reason why you should give me food and lodgings, and I would not, and did not, ask it. I am able to pay for such things, and I wish to do so.' We argued with him for some time, speaking of the habits of country people and so on, but he would not be convinced. He had asked for accommodation, expecting to pay for it, and would not be content until he had done so. "'Well,' said Euphemia, "'we are not keeping this house for profit, and you can't force us to make anything out of you. If you will be satisfied to pay us just what it costs to entertain you, I suppose we shall have to let you do that. Take a seat for a minute, and I will make out your bill.' So the artist and I sat down and talked of various matters, while my wife got out her travelling stationery box, and sat down to the dining-table to make out the bill. After a long, long time, as it appeared to me, I said, "'My dear, if the amount of that bill is at all proportioned to the length of time it takes to make it out, I think our friend here will wish he had never said anything about it.' "'It's nearly done,' said she, without raising her head, and in about ten or fifteen minutes more she rose and presented the bill to our guest.' As I noticed that he seemed somewhat surprised at it, I asked him to let me look it over with him. The bill, of which I have a copy, read as follows. July 12, 1870. Artist. To the S&S &S Hotel and F&M House. To one-third supper, July 11th, which supper consisted of one-fourteenth pound coffee at thirty-five cents, two cents, one-fourteenth pound sugar at fourteen cents, one cent, one-sixth quart milk, at six cents, one cent. One-half loaf of bread, at six cents, three cents. One-eighth pound butter, at twenty-five cents, three and one-eighth cents. One-half pound bacon, at twenty-five cents, twelve and a half cents. One-sixteenth pack potatoes, at sixty cents per bushel, fifteen-sixteenths. One-half pint hominy, at six cents, three cents. Twenty-seven and one-sixteenth cents. One-third of total, nine and one-forty-eighth cents. To one-third breakfast, July twelfth, same as above, with exception of eggs instead of bacon, and with hominy omitted, twenty-four and one-sixth cents. One-third total, eight and one-forty-eighth cents. To rent of one room and furniture, for one night, in furnished house of fifteen rooms, at six dollars per week for whole house, five cents three-eighths. Amount due, twenty-two and seventeen twenty-fourth cents. The worthy artist burst out laughing when he read this bill, and so did I. You needn't laugh, said Euphemia, reddening a little. That is exactly what your entertainment cost, and we do not intend to take a cent more. We get things here in such small quantities that I can tell quite easily what a meal costs us, and I have calculated that bill very carefully. So I should think, madam, said the artist, but it is not quite right. You have charged nothing for your trouble and services." No, said my wife, for I took no additional trouble to get your meals. What I did I should have done if you had not come. 
To be sure, I did spend a few minutes preparing your room. I will charge you seven twenty-fourths of a cent for that, thus making your bill twenty-three cents, even money. I cannot gainsay reasoning like yours, madam, he said, and he took a quarter from a very fat old pocket-book, and handed it to her. She gravely gave him two cents change, and then, taking the bill, receipted it, and handed it back to him. We were sorry to part with our guest, for he was evidently a good fellow. I walked with him a little way up the road, and got him to let me copy his bill in my memorandum-book. The original, he said, he would always keep. A day or two after the artist's departure, we were standing on the front piazza. We had a late breakfast, consequent upon a long tramp the day before, and had come out to see what sort of a day it was likely to be. We had hardly made up our minds on the subject when the morning stage came up at full speed and stopped at our front gate. "'Hello!' cried the driver. He was not our driver. He was a tall man in high boots, and had a great reputation as a manager of horses. So Danny Carson told me afterwards. There were two drivers on the line, and each of them made one trip a day, going up one day in the afternoon, and down the next day in the morning. I went out to see what this driver wanted. "'Can't you give my passengers breakfast?' he asked. "'Why, no!' I exclaimed, looking at the stage loaded inside and out. "'This isn't a tavern. We couldn't get breakfast for a stage load of people.' "'What have you got to sign up for, then?' roared the driver, getting red in the face. "'That's so!' cried two or three of the men from the top of the stage. "'If it ain't a tavern, what's that sign doing there?' I saw I must do something. I stepped up close to the stage and looked in and up. "'Are there any sailors in this stage?' I said. There was no response. "'Any soldiers? Any farmers or mechanics?' At the latter question I trembled, but fortunately no one answered. "'Then,' said I, "'you have no right to ask to be accommodated, for, as you may see from the sign, our house is only for soldiers, sailors, farmers, and mechanics. And besides,' cried Euphemia from the piazza, "'we haven't anything to give you for breakfast.' The people in and on the stage grumbled a good deal at this, and looked as if they were both disappointed and hungry, while the driver ripped out an oath, which, had he thrown it across a creek, would soon have made a good-sized mill-pond. He gathered up his reins and turned a sinister look on me. "'I'll be even with you yet,' he cried as he dashed off. In the afternoon Mrs. Carson came up and told us that the stage had stopped there, and that she had managed to give the passengers some coffee, bread and butter, and ham and eggs, though they had to wait their turns for cups and plates. It appeared that the driver had quarrelled with the Lowry people that morning because the breakfast was behindhand, and he was kept waiting. So he told his passengers that there was another tavern, a few miles down the road, and that he would take them there to breakfast. "'He's an awful ugly man, that he is,' said Mrs. Carson, "'and he'd a better stayed at Lowry's, for he had to wait a good sight longer after all, as it turned out. But he's dreadful mad at you, and says he'll bring you farmers and sailors and soldiers and mechanics, if that's what you want. I spect he'll do his best to get a load of them particular people and drop em at your door. I'd take down that sign, if I was you.' Not that me and Danny minds, for we're glad to get a stage to feed, and if you've any single man that wants lodging, we've fixed up a room and can keep him overnight. Notwithstanding this warning, Euphemia and I decided not to take in our sign. We were not to be frightened by a stage driver. The next day our own driver passed us on the road as he was going down. "'So you're particular about the people you take in, are you?' said he, smiling. "'That's all right, but you made Bill awful mad.' It was quite late on a Monday afternoon that Bill stopped at our house again. He did not call out this time. He simply drew up, and a man with a big black valise clambered down from the top of the stage. Then Bill shouted to me as I walked down to the gate, looking rather angry, I suppose. I was a-goin' to get you a whole stage load to stay all night, but that one'll do you, I reckon. 
Ha, ha! And off he went, probably fearing that I would throw his passenger up on top of the stage again. End of section 35